0: Ko e Tena koutou katoa and welcome to Insight. I'm Philip Tolley and it's great to have you with us. Being gay, lesbian or transgender is no longer something that should prevent people from being able to live together, travel or work in a job they love without fear or discrimination. But in the military, being part of the rainbow community has not always been met with acceptance and in the past has led to job losses and bullying. Now the Defence Force is promoting its inclusive approach. Our defence reporter, Jonathan Mitchell, has been investigating if the attitudes of the past have disappeared. And just a warning, there are references to sexual violence in this programme.
1: As rain threatens on a cloudy Saturday afternoon in inner-city Wellington, a bland-looking building in a quiet street is filling up with people getting ready to take part in a parade. It's the band practice rooms, but this isn't one of their more predictable performances. Instead, military personnel, civilians and other supporters, decked out in rainbow attire, are getting ready to march in the capital's pride parade. The annual event, which celebrates the city's diversity and its gay, lesbian and transgender community, was delayed from March after the Christchurch mosque shootings. In the band practice room, personnel are rushing in and out, ironing their shirts before the afternoon's parade gets underway. Representatives of gay and lesbian members of the Defence Force have been a regular part of the parade, but this year it's upping the ante. It's not just regular members who are marching, But for the first time, they'll be joined by the Chief of Defence, Air Marshal Kevin Short.
2: I have have the flag, yes, I've got the uh, rainbow flag. Oh, one of the um, NZDF person downstairs gave it to me and says, you need a bit of colour with your uniform, so uh, I said thank you, I'll take it.
1: As everyone makes the last finishing touches, Air Marshal Kevin Short will soon be making history. This will be the first time ever a Chief of Defence has walked in solidarity with the Rainbow community. It's part of the Defence Force's commitment to make the military a safe and welcoming career option for people from the lesbian, gay, transgender, queer and intersex, or LGBTQI community. This moment has been a long time in the making. It's 25 years since the ban was lifted on homosexuals being able to serve openly in the military then, and in the decades before, life for anyone who wasn't a straight man or woman was difficult, and in some cases, it was hellish. It's a calm, crisp autumn afternoon in rural northern Canterbury, and the road is flanked with lush green paddocks on the drive to Terry King's Place in Howarddon. He's a former military man, as is fellow Cantabrian Ken Clearwater, who's here for a visit. Last
3: time I came out here it was torrential rain, so it's nice, um, it's nice to come here while the sun's nearly shining.
1: One thing about the country is the hospitality.
3: This is
4: my man cave, and um, this is where I do all my um, repairs and bits and pieces, even making music videos and all this, so when, you know, moments... You need to escape. This is where I come and hide. <laughs> yeah. So, what you got on the wall here, Terry? It's um, well, the the big uh, thank you uh, is the one we did on the 100 years, 100 horses. Um, they gave me a plaque for that. But on the wall here is all the over the years when I've served as a young lad, right through to the different uh, events that I've been involved in.
1: Both men get chatting as Terry King's partner Nikki offers hot drinks and freshly made scones with homemade jam. But this isn't a social trip. Ken Clearwater is the National Advocate for Male Survivors Aotearoa, a group which supports men who have suffered sexual abuse. He's in contact with Terry King because of how he was treated while he was in the army. Terry King is still proud of his military past and devotes a great deal of time to preserving memorabilia and keeping memories of the sacrifices of the past alive. Down from the hills they came. And along with military history, his other great passion is horses. Oh,
4: yeah, who told you to get out? This is Stella. Hello, Stella. Where do you think you're going? (laughs)
1: ah the gate shut. <laughs> Bit of stage fright. Get
4: back in there. Go on.
1: But his time at Burnham Military Camp, south of Christchurch, was a million miles away from his happy place among his horses. Burnham is a grand old military establishment that dates back to the 1920s. It played a critical role in the Second World War However, in the 1970s, when Terry King was just a few weeks into basic training, he was brutally raped by a group of fellow male personnel.
4: I remember it quite clearly, especially um, I was in the shower block. Um, the shower block's a big one, long rose head, and you we know, were all showing there. And I used to shower towards the tail end of it, because I always was pretty self-conscious, even as a, a, um, a young, young man. And, and so generally the showers were starting to get cold, and everyone was all disappearing. And I do remember standing there, and I said, "No," oh, and you know we'd had a pretty tough day. And uh, next thing, the lights went out in the showers, and all as I remember is a whole lot of guys coming in, swearing and carrying on. This is your bloody justice! You clean your bloody rifle, because I, on the inspection day, I didn't have my rifle properly cleaned. So they grabbed me. I went down, I started the fight and then I I hit the wall and I remember just tasting blood and I thought, oh God, this is going to be painful.
1: Despite being badly hurt and bleeding, the military police who found him later told him to get cleaned up and back to his quarters because he was out of curfew. Terry King never reported the abuse. Because it was sexual in nature and involved other men, it would have been regarded as homosexual activity which at the time was illegal. Even though Mr King is heterosexual, he may well have faced consequences that would have led to him being thrown out of the army.
4: I still have that haunting feeling that I should have put up a bigger fight. You know, I should have gone down screaming. But something in the brain just shut me down. And I remember my oldest half-brother saying, it's barrack justice, take what they give you and get on with it. And to me, that's... But I did, and I just shut up.
1: It's only in the last 18 months or so that he's opened up about his abuse in the military. It's been a tough road.
4: When I first started facing my demons and everything on that, um, my partner, Nikki, you know, she was a rock, but she went through absolutely hell because the nightmares I'd wake up, you know, um, I've got up during the night sometimes and in a rush and slammed into the side of my bedroom wall um, in terror or my bed would be soaking wet, and i have just sweated unbelievably, and just, you know, and I still do now, is that things, when they get on top of you, I go and come to my man cave and to my horses and retreat. But... Because it uh, still comes back to you. Oh, it still comes back. And, like, for an example, as I said, the other day, when I was driving down the road and saw a convoy of army vehicles, it just brought it back to 1974, and... I had to pull over on the side of the road. I was in an absolute sweat. And I don't know what drink it. it was just like daylight. It was just bang. It was there. But I am learning now, even at 66, that, yeah, we've just got to get on top. And it's starting to um, come better. I get a better understanding. And I think by, for me, talking about it now, I've got more of a sense of purpose now by, if I tell my story, people around who have gone through it, who are younger, they don't have to go through the 40 to 50 years of living hell that both Ken and I have gone through. At least they've got a chance to recover before they get too old.
1: Ken Clearwater also suffered some abuse while in the military, albeit at a lower level. It happened in the 1970s, a few weeks before he was getting married, an act he likens to prep school behaviour.
5: They called things like that hazing because, um, you know, because like mine, I wasn't raped, I was just sexually violated as such and, um, and that was an accepted part of it. They knew what they were doing, they had the jam and all that ready to when they got me and, and smeared it all over my genitals and things like that. So they, they knew what, exactly what they were doing and whether, how, they, how long they'd had
1: it planned for, I don't know. How would you describe that 70s in the military
5: well, um, the, the PTSD, and, and we the, some of the um, corporals and sergeants that we had when I was there had come back from Vietnam, so I would imagine some of those would have been carrying a lot of stuff with them when they came back, and they were there to teach and train us to be soldiers. Um, I found some of them were pretty okay, but there was a couple
4: that I was pretty scared of at the time. There was no one you could talk to? No. You didn't talk about it in those days because you was the fear of going to jail. Because it was a criminal act. So for me, I just hung in there and said nothing. Even when I came out after my three months basic training, I remember I went on a drinking binge for three months and I have no memory of that. I've got my friends at the time told me that, you know, I crashed my car into the river, went over a 50-foot bank. How the hell I didn't kill myself. I think I was so totally drunk I just absorbed it all.
1: Despite the horrific nature of the abuse they suffered, Both men are staunch in the belief that the military is okay to be in, despite what they call a few bad eggs. However, they believe the Defence Force needs to be more accountable for what happened in the past, while it works on ensuring a safer, more inclusive future. The strain of keeping the then-illegal Act secret has caused anxiety on top of the abuse. And for those that served in the past the idea of an inclusive military is almost more than they can imagine.
6: Oh, yeah, today is um, is quite alien. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, there being openly gay people in the 70s and 80s. The, the way it is now, the way the whole armed services are, are structured and operate now is, is pretty foreign. It's a very different type of environment. Michelle
1: Lewin knew she wanted to be a woman at five years old. Born in Manawatu in 1960 as Murray, she decided to follow in her mum, dad and brother's footsteps into the Air Force in the late 70s.
6: And I thought, well, this would be a good combination. Maybe it was what I needed, some positive male role models and, um, you know, that, that could be the an arena that I could really sort of develop the male side of me, and um, and and it did develop a lot of things, but it also reinforced the fact that the, what I'd felt from early childhood with, um, with my gender identity, um, it kind of just reinforced that for me. She knew policy was policy
1: and kept her true self under wraps from the outside world. At the end of the day, being transgender, gay or lesbian was not the done thing, it was described as an unnatural
6: offence. Most of them would have been sorta of hiding it. But yeah, there were rumors go round and, and there were a lot of comments about um about gay men and stuff from from other people in the services. Which I don't think would be out there so much now. Probably still a little bit, but um
1: What would they say? Would it be slang words?
6: Yeah, it would just be oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you know, if you if you were doing something or you weren't manning up, there'd be a lot of comments. Oh, what are you gay or something? Yeah, you know, sort of that general slang, slang phrases, and and uh, I think a lot of people that use that type of language actually that's how they feel. That's what they believe. Um, is that you know a, a gay man in the in the armed forces? Um, wouldn't be as good as somebody that was straight.
1: While it was an offence to be gay, the idea of transitioning to another gender was probably beyond many people's understanding at the time. Michelle decided it was time to bring her military career to an end in the late 1980s.
6: I was a bit disillusioned with a few things um, with service life and... um, Was looking to. um, I was married by then, married in nineteen eighty three, and thought that it was probably time for me to um, to get out and kind of explore things a little bit, but at the same time um, get away from the regimented and very masculine oriented. Uh, attitudes and stuff that were around at that time. It was very much um, like a lot of society was then.
1: Michelle Lewin began her transition about a decade later. She's still proud of her time in the military and in recent years has attended reunions. But she does have reservations about how much can be done to remove discrimination, saying it will never be fully resolved and there's work to do to help transgender people across society, including in the military. Hi, Darren, how are you? Hi, Jonathan, I'm good. Thanks for having me today. But even those fighting for change in the 80s ended up with personal struggles of their own. When I joined the military, I was 17, come from a small town. The
5: only way out was you joined the military, you joined the freezing works, you joined the paper mills. That was where you went in your life. I got into the military, I got out of the area I was in.
1: Um, For Darren Graham, keeping his sexuality to himself was something he just had to do. Sitting in the lounge in his Rolleston home, he talks about his time in the Air Force, his eyes light up, and he reverts back to his younger self when talking about planes.
5: And I could have back then named every aircraft and how old it was and you know how many they had and all that sort of stuff, so it was... It was. I had good general knowledge of the military at that stage.
1: As a fresh-faced 17-year-old, Darren Graham joined an Air Force recruit course and he understood that being gay was something he was just going to have to hide. I knew the requirements of the military
5: and that being gay wasn't something that they really wanted or were allowed. And mm. So right from the start, that was something that I just put aside, basically. How tough was that? How did you do that? Um, I think it was just about not talking about it, not saying anything, just fitting in, um, right at the recruit course stage, you were with people who became your mates, um, you just did what they did. Mm. There wasn't a lot of time to yourself, so a lot of the time you spent in training, you didn't get a lot of time off. When you did get time off at the weekends, I was lucky enough to have some family in the area that I could go and visit, being able to get out and do things
1: and yeah you spoke to me in our earlier chat about living two lives one on base one outside of base it was effectively
5: that um that wasn't so easy in a place like Blenheim but moving to Christchurch it was a lot easier um I was able to get out and about I guess you could say I didn't have transport so I relied a lot on a push bike being in Christchurch it was good it was nice and flat And yeah, getting into the city and being able to go somewhere where you could be in contact with other people like yourself, gay people, Mm. go to nightclubs, and then go back to base and be a totally different person.
1: At the height of debate of the homosexual law reform, he and other gay and lesbian mates went along to a public meeting against reform at Aranui High School in 1985. They were booted out for asking why people were opposed. Yeah, we all walked out, but
5: we also got trespassed, we got removed. The police were there, we got removed and we got trespassed from the school as a group.
1: Was there violence or was there pushing and shoving?
5: No violence, no pushing and shoving, we went peacefully. So that was one of the key things that
1: we were about, there was never any violence. But what Mr Graham didn't see coming was being forced out of the military for being gay. He had been asked to sign a petition against law reform. He quickly signed and then felt immense anxiety.
5: I was conflicted about it over a few days and went and talked to someone who I thought was in confidence, a base padre, and it turns out it wasn't in confidence. It was something that resulted in, within 24 hours, me
1: being discharged
5: from the military.
1: He hadn't told his parents about being gay. The military got there first. I phoned my parents a few days later to say I was
5: back in Christchurch and my parents, um, I think my father answered the phone and basically said, we've received a letter from the military saying you're practising homosexual. And I just said yes. Um, and he just passed the phone to mum. That was it. And that was the way my father reacted. I can understand that for the generation, Um I I don't know, it's just something they shouldn't have done, in my opinion, but it happened.
0: A gay former airman who says he was kicked out of the Air Force because of his sexual orientation is welcoming the military's decision now to change its policy. The Ministry of Defence has decided it will not seek an exemption to the Human Rights Bill, allowing it to discriminate against homosexuals. And
1: about seven years later, Darren Graham was giving his support to the military's decision to lift the ban on homosexuals in the Army, Navy and Air Force. But how quickly would things change? Would it now be easy for personnel who could now publicly identify themselves with the Rainbow community? At the time of the Human Rights Act... This Dutch official gave his opinion to Morning Report's Kim Hill.
0: I think that it will take at last
3: 15 or 20 years before real integration has taken place.
1: And that it prediction about the time of, needed to change perceptions and behaviour appears to have played out. You're listening to Insight on RNZ National with me, Jonathan Mitchell, assessing the Defence Force's attitude to LGBTQI personnel. By the early 2000s, a decade or so on from the ban being lifted, how much had changed? Or was discrimination and bullying still rife in the Defence Force?
3: My name is uh, Ricky Devine-White and I um, am a self-employed personal trainer um, here at the local community gym uh, and I am married and <laughs> own my own house and uh, enjoy life here.
1: Beaming in from Blenheim is Ricky Devine-White Acting school and life in Palmerston North wasn't for him, so in 2003 he joined the Navy, a career that would span the best part of a decade and one he truly loved. However, in those early years he kept his sexuality a secret until he accidentally came out.
3: We were out um, overseas and we were in a bar with, with all the guys and... I um, kissed a guy in a bar, in the bar and the rest of the sailors saw me doing that. And then the following day, I was asked, you know, am I gay? Um, we saw you hooking up with a guy on the dance floor. And I just thought, okay, well, this is my time. This is my moment. Whether I'm ready for it or not, it's time to do it. Uh, so I just said, yeah, I am. And uh, I distinctly remember one of my best friends in the Navy. He burst into tears because he... Um, he was just so upset that he couldn't, that he didn't know first, he wasn't the first person to know and that he couldn't support me through it.
1: While he had a close group of mates around him, the culture at the time was still mixed and he says there were still occasions when he felt unsafe.
3: We were out, um, I think, in Fremantle or Melbourne, and I was on ship at the time, and um, the guys had been drinking. I was going through a big fitness stage, so I was generally just hanging out with the guys while we were out, and we met up with some older sailors uh, from particularly some of the more male-driven branches within the Defence Force, and I remember we were walking down an alleyway, and the conversation started turning towards... Um, gays and they were using the word fag and um, homo Uh, and then someone someone threw out rick because you're a fag aren't you and then that's about the time that i kind of um, decided to remove myself from the situation
7: it is a huge honor for a man that is legendary
3: and
7: i believe he is creating history ladies and gentlemen Stu pierce
1: In front of a crowd of hundreds on Wellington's Courtney Place, Stu Pierce, the head of the Defence Force's LGBTQI support group Overwatch, acknowledges how far the military has come, with the Chief of Defence, Air Marshal Kevin Short, watching from a VIP section a few metres away. Then it's time for the parade to get underway. Leading the contingent is the Air Force Band, followed closely by Air Marshal Short and many other defence personnel who identify as LGBTQI, as well as a light-armoured vehicle with coloured rainbow flags. History being made on the streets of Wellington. So has the culture changed completely from some of those dark times of the past? While current Rainbow community personnel have the backing of Overwatch, Former serving personnel, such as Terry King and Harwarden, are just left with the nightmares and past trauma. Air Marshal Kevin Short acknowledged times were tough and how some personnel were treated in the past was wrong, but he was making a concerted effort to improve the culture.
2: Now with the systems we have, they have all the support and mechanisms to actually allow them to uh, work with um, pride and um, with, I think, really good career offerings within the Defence Force.
1: So, you can say hand on heart that uh, what you're doing today isn't just window dressing, you've made some real change in development over the last 25 years.
2: We certainly have, and we have uh, continuing policies, of respect. Uh, we have uh, policies and procedures uh, and practices that uh, mean it's easier to uh, work in the organisation. We want it to be safe. We want people to enjoy what they're doing and we want them to have long careers. And the policies and procedures behind that are really important.
1: He pointed out Operation Respect, a programme aimed at reducing sexual violence, as one way the military is trying to improve things. That programme launched after a scathing assessment of the Air Force in 2015, which labelled the service sexist and toxic. Figures on Operation Respect released to RNZ show more personnel, especially women, are coming forward to complain about sexual violence incidents.
7: Hi, I'm flying officer Hemi Fryers, uh, working at RNZAF Base Auckland.
1: With just over 11 years in the Air Force, Hemi Fryers is gay and proud. He says he's never thought his sexuality was a problem, nor has it been in his experience, he's performed his job just like everyone else. However, he does say there is room for improvement.
7: The NZDF is uh, a slice of society at large, and so with every uh, recruit course intake that we take of 100 new people into the organisation several times a year, uh, we inherit society's um, you know, uh, demographics and baggage. And uh, the important thing that we can do as an organisation, I think, is make sure that right from day one it's really visible to people joining the organisation what our expectations are in terms of tone and behaviour and make sure that people know that those prejudices come internally, that that pressure you put upon yourself is not well founded. And so you can have a really rewarding career in the military um, and you don't need to then uh, make that tougher on yourself by worrying about it.
1: Stu Pearce, the head of the support group Overwatch, says there's a genuine desire to make a cultural change. I think it would be naive
7: of us to claim that we've we've you know this is mission accomplished and we've we've ticked all the boxes and we can go away and and celebrate success. There's there's always opportunities to be better. There's always ways in which we can improve, and I think you know the 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 reality is 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 that I think you know people will still. As we're seeing in mainstream society, you know there are challenges are facing, you know, affecting the uh, the LGBT community out in day to day New Zealand. And um, what we want to make sure within the defence force is that you know that the the culture of the defence force is not one of those challenges that people have to face.
1: And that's something gay, lesbian, transgender, and others hope will be the case.
0: That programme was written and produced by Jonathan Mitchell. If you'd like to podcast some long-form journalism, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today, and do join us again next time.